Would you turn to two openings, please, this morning? John chapter 13. And also, we'll be turning right over a page or so to the 15th chapter. John 13 and 34. Jesus is speaking. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. What is the new commandment? That we love who? Who's the one another? Fellow Christian. We already care about the unsaved. But that's not specifically what this verse said. We are to love each other, fellow Christians. How are we to love each other? As he loved and loves us. Well, then we got to find out how he loves us. Right? And we have to receive, we must receive the love he has toward us before we're in a position to love our brother and sister. We've given you some, some great truths already about love. And that was the first one we camped on and talked about is that you must receive love to give love. You can't give what you don't have. If you don't have money, you can't give money. If you don't have things, you can't give things. Well, if you haven't received love, you're not in a position to give love. If you won't let God love you, if you won't receive the love of God, then you're not going to be loving other people like you're supposed to. And many have not understood that. They think, well, I, I'm, I'm, a good, I'm a good mother. I'm a good father. I love my kids with all my heart. But I don't like myself, and, and I don't love my husband or wife, and, and you know, but I love my kids. No, you're crippled in loving your kids. If you don't love God, and you don't let God love you, and you don't let other people love you, you're crippled. You, you cut yourself off. Uh, you, your giving is, is limited to your receiving. You, you, the way you receive is the way you give, and vice versa. And this is how you can tell that you're receiving the love of God. If you're receiving the love of God, you come to love yourself. Because you'll see yourself through his eyes. Amen. 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 And he loves you. Amen. The amazing thing is he knows you. And he still <laughs> loves you. Amen. And we love you. We do. I had it come up in my heart uh, during the, the praise time, and I'm, I'm going to say it. And if it applies to you, receive it. If it's somebody that's not here, maybe you could tell them. But sometimes if people mess up, or, you know, they don't, they don't get their way or something, or they, you know, they know that we find out that they messed up on something, because of their pride, they quit coming. And they think, well, I know they don't care about us anymore. That's not true. I said, that's not true. I don't care how how you've messed up. We still care about you. We still love you. We still want you to be a part. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to let you do just anything you want to do. Huh? That doesn't mean we're going to just do everything you think we ought to do. But we want to do what's best for you. We want to help you. But don't believe the lies of the devil. Well, you know, I messed up, so they don't like me anymore. That's a lie. I said, that's a lie. We believe in people being able to start over. Do you? 
We believe in people being able to have a fresh start. Get it right. And if God's forgiven you and you're cleansed, that's good enough for me. Amen. Amen. Then I got nothing against you. And it's not about what you did. It's about what we're going to do now. And if you're serious and you love God and you want to serve God, hey, I'm with you. We'll help you any way we can. So don't, if you know somebody that thinks that way, tell them that they're believing a lie, that that's not true. We don't write anybody off. And we can have more than one friend. How about you? Can you have more than one friend? Yeah, sometimes I've actually had people say, well, no, you know, if you're going to fellowship with that bunch, you know, I don't know about you hanging with us. Well, that's a problem. I said, that's a problem. Phyllis and I stood up in our uh, kitchen and then our, one of the first house, well, it was the, it was the first house that we owned in Tulsa. And we had just come back where I had, we had spoken in a, uh, a Baptist church not too long before that. And I had spoken in a Pentecostal church. And we, what was that church up in New England? Presbyterian. And not, not charismatic Presbyterian. Uh, I was the first guest speaker they had had in that church outside their denomination in 50 something years. It was a big old stone cathedral type, you know, with the, the stained glass. And it was uh, very structured. And they had committees for their committees. Very interesting. Toward the end of my time there, the pastor looked at me. He said, you know, maybe we've got too many committees. And I, I didn't, I wanted to say, yeah, yeah, you do. But I didn't say anything. <clears throat> but the Lord blessed us there. And I mean, in spite of, I didn't. When I first got there, I wondered, what am I doing here? I mean, how'd these people even find out about me? But man, we, we loved each other and, and, uh, I respected them and they respected me. We had some people healed. We had some people got filled with the Spirit. And that was all very low key. <clears throat> and, uh, the, the pastor and I stood outside those big, huge stone steps. As the people filed out after the Sunday morning and it was, it was so cute. I mean, there, there were, uh, you know, ladies that, that had been going there for I don't know how many years and they shook my hand and they pulled up real close and they said, I was healed last night. <laughs> 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 they said, I was healed last night. Just real quiet, you know, and you know, I thought, Praise God. They went on. <laughs> As we got back, you know, uh, I've had some people ask me before, well, why did you go there? Or why did you go to this place? Or why are you hanging around with that bunch? And um, Phil, I told Phyllis, I said, the Lord has allowed us to fellowship with different parts of the body of Christ. And we are never going to choose sides for one against another. So we stood up. We stood up in our little kitchen. And before the Lord, we said, we will never pick sides for one against another. No, if you're born again, you're part of the family. Is that right? And how many know there are good people all over this planet that love God? They may not do things the way you do it, but who said everything you do is right? You know, I mean, it's an eye opener. You get an education. By fellowshipping with different parts of the body of Christ. Don't know why I said all that, but we believe it. Amen. That's the way we believe it. Well, in verse 35, John 13, 35, by this, by us loving each other as he has loved us, all men will know that we are his disciples if we have love one to another. It's not by our scripture quoting. 
It's not by our perfect church attendance. It's not by our giving. It's not by our tongue talking. It's not by our miracles that people will know we're a real Christian. What is it by? Our demonstrated love for each other. That's why the devil worked so hard to create strife and to stir up problems between Christians and between churches and between ministries because it ruins our witness and it undermines our effectiveness. You know, our outreach is not just our preaching. People watch us the way we live and they're not interested in what we've got to say if they don't have confidence in our life. And so our life preaches more than anything. And it just completely undermines our testimony and our light when we fuss and fight with each other and and, and are selfish and can't get along and all these splits and all these divisions. That's why the enemy works so hard about it. And I saw this some years ago, and this is one thing that we are extremely rigid about. In this church and in this ministry, we have zero tolerance for strife. Amen. None. Amen. None. Hallelujah. Now, I hope you don't doubt me on that. Because uh, ask any of my employees, ask any of the people at the church, and you'll find that this is a fact. Amen. There is no tolerance. Because the, the Lord spoke this to me some years ago. He said, Keith, he, I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but distinctly inside me. He said, strife is the manifest presence of the devil. Yes. Think about it. Have you ever experienced it? Yes. You ever been in the middle of terrible strife? Yes. Isn't it awful? Yes. The environment, the feeling. And he said, peace is the manifest presence of God. Amen. He's the God of peace. Amen. His peace is wonderful. That's what heaven is like. Amen. That's the environment of heaven is peace. The environment of hell is strife. I don't care who thinks they're wrong or right. I don't care what they thought had happened or who should have done this or that. Strife will be squelched. Has to be. Why elsewise, as the leader, I'm letting the devil manifest his presence in our church and ministry. I'm responsible not to let that happen. Right? Be that way in your house. Be that way in your house. Be that way in your uh, family. Be that way in your business. How much tolerance for strife? None. Zero. None. That means we give the devil no place. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. Now, uh, look with me, please, in the 15th chapter. 15. 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Another way of saying that is stay in my love. Abide, live in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide or live in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments, and abide or live in his love. Everybody say, live in his love. Live in his love. love. You don't just live in Branson or Kimberling City or... Harrison or Springfield, you live in here. Do you know what I mean by that? Geographic location uh, does not is not what makes you happy. You live inside yourself. It's what's going on inside you 
that, that gives you the enjoyable environment or not. You see a lot of people thinking, well, you know, I, I don't like this. I, I got to get out of here because I'm, you know, things are not going good and I don't enjoy life. So they move to another country or another place. And then they realize that when they get there, they're there. <laughs> and they're still not happy. Why? Because you don't just live in Missouri or Texas or Pennsylvania. You live in your heart and in your mind. And if you're right with God and you got peace and joy inside, you could be sitting by the branch in a tent eating cold cornbread and wild onions and be full of joy. Amen. Amen. If things are not right inside, you could be in a 30-room mansion Wanting to commit suicide. Huh? You could be in the most, you could be in the middle of Hawaii. You could be in the most beautiful place on earth and it's dark inside. Because you don't just live out here, you live in here. It's where you live. Where should we live? Live in His love. That's where the joy is. Everybody say, live in love. That's where the joy is. He said, Verse 11, these things have I spoken to you that my what? Joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. The key to fullness of joy is living in love. Living in love. He said, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Go to Romans, please. Romans 13. The Bible says in Romans 13, verse 8, Romans 13, 8. He said, Owe no man anything but to love one another. He that loves another has fulfilled the law. How many know that as soon as you get every debt paid off and you say, Well, I don't owe anybody a dime. I don't owe anybody anything. Well, yeah, you still owe them love. Right? Everybody you meet, you owe them that. Hmm? Because God loves you. Gave you love when you didn't deserve it. And so now in turn, we owe other people love, even though they don't deserve it, because of what he's done for us. He said, he that loves another has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it's briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And since you love yourself and you know God loves you, then you're in position to do that now, right? Amen. Verse 10. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the fourth great pillar of truth about love that I want you to get and see very clearly. Love does no harm. Love won't hurt. Works no ill to his neighbor. Now the word neighbor. You, you could say it like this. Instead of not neighbor. Nibor. Nigh means close to. You could say nearby. Love does no harm. To whoever's nearby. 
Who's your neighbor? Well, whoever you happen to be around right now. Not just who you live by permanently. Whoever's path you cross today. Whoever you happen to be around. You're not responsible for walking in love with all the people you'll never meet. Huh? It's the ones you meet. Don't, don't try to receive the word for somebody else. You see a lot of this. <laughs> oh man, where, where are they at today? They should be here. They should hear this. Well, yeah, but the Lord knew that you was going to be here. <laughs> and here's the message. So it must be for you. And, and don't try to receive. You see, because if you're, if you're focusing on receiving it for somebody else, you are not receiving it for you. I had a lady one time, I taught on, on love every day. I think it was for two or three weeks. And she caught me after the service. She said, oh, Brother Keith, I'm so glad you're teaching on this. That I know this is right. This is exactly right. And, and I've been telling these people that, that they're supposed to walk in love with me. But uh, how do you get them to do this? <laughs> I believe every word of it. But how do, you, how do you get them to walk in love with you like this? I said, sister, you missed the whole deal. This ain't about getting them to walk in love with you. It's about you walking in love with them. Amen. And the more they don't want to walk in love with you is the more opportunity you have to walk in love with them. And you don't try to receive the word for them. You receive it for yourself. And whoever you happen to be by. Somebody says, yeah, but these people that I'm around. (laughs) Hey, Brother Keith, you just don't know. These people I live with, yeah. And they're living with you. Right? But Brother Keith, you just don't know my wife. Oh, you just don't know my husband. It's been my experience that most people deserve each other. (laughs) You're not responsible for other people walking in love. You're responsible for you walking in love. Amen? And walking in love is not just a good religious thing to do. It is the way that never fails. Amen. It is the thing that causes your faith to work. Is it true? Faith works by what? What if you're not operating in love? Cause your faith not to work. How important this is. But love works no ill to whoever's around it. If you love people, you won't hurt them. Is that right? And the love of God will constrain you and prevent you from hurting people and doing harm to them and doing ill ill will to them. Now let's read some other scriptures. I'll just read these to you and you listen and if we should turn to one, I'll I'll mention that to you. But uh, the scripture says concerning Evil, well, I do want you to turn to this. You're so close anyway. Romans 12. Are you there? Good. (laughs) Romans 12, 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. See, have you found out that the nature of your flesh is that if somebody slaps you, you immediately want to do what? Slap them back harder. 
<laughs> now, no needing you looking at me and that sanctimonious expression. Sometimes people try to leave the impression, well, no, brother, I've been sanctified and, and I'm free from all that. And I just, you know, I just love everybody. And no, no, I'm free from all that. You'd, you'd like to do an experiment with them. <laughs> Set them up here. We'll put them on a chair and go smack. Now, how do you feel? Tell me. <laughs> they may control themselves, but don't tell me they feel wonderful and rosy about it. <laughs> You're still in the flesh. Your flesh has feelings. Huh? You know, I used to uh, sport fight in the martial arts. Have you ever been hit real, real hard in the face? Whoo. Man. Ever been hit so hard, you know, somebody punch you or kick you in the face so hard you couldn't see? Your eyes water up and you can't see. Uh, my, my teeth have been rearranged before. That's how hard I got hit. I know one time this guy, they came from another town and we were supposed to be sparring and uh, I was teaching that night and this guy came to me and he wanted me to show him some pointers and he, I showed him some things and we sparred and he's flopping around and acting like he can't do a thing, you know, and eventually I just lowered my guard so he could get in on me. I said, come on, you know, so you can get it and I'm dodging and moving and all at once. He started fighting like the black belt he really was. He was a lying rascal. And he nailed me because I had my guard down. He nailed me. And I turned around and spit shavings off my teeth out in my hand. Well, I had feelings at that point. I had some real strong feelings. Can you imagine what they were? Huh? And it wasn't, I love you, brother. And I was saved. I was born again. But I wasn't thinking about being born again right then. The, uh, the instructor that was there and it was, uh, you'd call it refereeing or whatever. He, uh, he jumped up. He said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I can't see right now, but give me just a minute and I'll be okay. I was shaking my head, getting my eyes clear. Uh, and I, he said, well, the, the fight's over. I said, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, the fight's not over. I said, I'll, give me just a minute. I'll be fine. He said, no more. He said, you need to sit down. He said, I don't want you back. I said, yeah, but I'm ready to go. He said, no, no, no. <laughs> but I had, and he wouldn't let me back in with him. But I had some feelings. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so that is what I'm describing is the nature of the flesh. You have that. I have that. Somebody hurts you physically, emotionally, financially, with other people. What will be your natural flesh response? You will want to get back at them. Hmm? You see little kids on the, uh, on the playground. Well, you're a stupid head. What comes next? Well, you're a double stupid head. <laughs> huh? That's just na- that's natural flesh. Huh? <laughs> and see, you know, you may be 50 years old or 75, but you still got the same kind of flesh. 
Huh? Somebody do you wrong? Somebody hurt you? What's the nature of the flesh? Wants to hurt them. But wanting to hurt somebody is as ungodly as it gets. Wanting to hurt somebody is as devilish as it gets. It is completely contrary to the nature of God, who is love. Love works no ill to whoever's around it. And the word ill means evil, and it means harm, and it means hurt. Love doesn't hurt anyone around it. Not on purpose. And if you realize that you did hurt somebody without meaning to, it'll grieve you inside if you're right. I said if you're right. And if not, you know, 1 Corinthians 13. Boy, y'all got quiet when I said that. Well, you believe it, don't you? In 1 Corinthians 13, uh, you don't don't turn there. We're we're not through reading Romans 12. But uh, you remember that he said in that passage, love doesn't behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. I think sometimes people just have one idea of what that means. Evil includes the idea of injury. And harm, love will not sit around and think about how to get back at somebody. Love will not entertain ideas of how to hurt somebody. It won't do it. It's not the nature of God. It goes on to say it doesn't rejoice at injustice or iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Even somebody that's done you harm, if something bad happens to them, love will not be glad about it. Hmm? I've had people that have said very bad things about me and done bad things towards me. And then later on, some bad things happen to them. How I many know it's, you don't want to sow bad stuff? It'll come back on you. And I've wept when it happened. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to see it. If you love God, you love his kids. Right? And no matter what they've done, you don't want to see them go down. You want to see them come out. No matter how mean they've been, no matter what they've done, you want to see them repent, change, get it right. Phyllis and I were riding just the other day, and we were talking about some good things that had happened to some people in the church. And we just rejoiced and shouted about it. She said, she said, they wouldn't bother me if half our folks or all of them had ten times what we have. I said, me either. Just be great. Amen. And when you love people, that's the way you are. They get something bigger than you, you go, glory to God. Hey, go on. Right? Because you like to see them enjoy stuff. You like to see them get free. And that's one reason why we ought to read these testimonies. So all of us can shout when somebody pays off their house. All of us can shout when somebody gets a new car. Amen. All of, why? Because we love each other. If you love each other, you care when something good happens for them. And you don't want to see anything bad happen to them. And you are going to see to it that you're not the cause of any hurt that comes to them. Can you say amen? Love works no ill to whoever it's around. So love is the fulfilling of the law. Love does no harm 
to its neighbor. Everybody say no harm. No hurt. No ill. Didn't he say we're to be wise as serpents? And what? As harmless as doves. When you see a dove coming, you don't get scared and run away. Do you? Oh, oh, it's a dove. It's a dove. <laughs> oh, watch out. Those doves are mean. Huh? Well, when people see you coming, <laughs> they ought not go, oh, is he, what kind of mood's he in? Have y'all checked? How's he doing today? Mm-mm. No, people ought to know whether we call them or whether we come see them or whether they meet us, they know we're interested in their well-being. We don't want to hurt them. Don't want to see them hurt. And one of the, you know, one of the things that I have wept the most about in my own life of sensing a failure is times in my life where I realized I was unwittingly used of the enemy to hurt somebody through thoughtless stuff and foolish stuff, idle words that you weren't realizing, you know, uh, the enemy is always trying to set stuff up to hurt people. And uh, when you, if you realize, man, the devil used me. The devil said something through me that hurt them, and I just he brought it to my mind, and I just spit it out. That's something to repent over. That's something to get in the floor and weep about. How many don't want to be a tool of the enemy? Amen. Don't want him to be able to use your mouth or your hands or your mind or your money or anything that pertains to you. He's nothing to us. We're nothing to him. We've been delivered out of the power of darkness. Amen. We have a, a, Jesus is our Lord and Master. He's the Lord of love. Amen. Amen. And He loves through us. Everybody say, He loves through me. He loves through me. me. Can the Lord help you to keep you from hurting anybody? If you want it that way. If you're hungry for it. Look in Romans 12. Romans 12. Let's finish reading this. He said, recompense to no man evil for evil. Somebody does you wrong, don't do them wrong back. Is this an important thing in the Word? Is this found more than one time in the Scriptures? Many times. Everybody clear on this? Are you awake now? Somebody does you wrong, what do you do? You do them good. Right? Is that always easy? No. No. Will you always feel like doing them good? No. 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 But can you do it in spite of your flesh screaming, let me at them. Just let me have one good. Huh? Even though your flesh is screwed. Well, I know what I can do. I know what I can do. I can make a phone call. I know what to do. This is the way I tell so-and-so what you said and did. I'll fix your britches. Huh? That's devilish. I said that is devilish. That is ungodly. Mm -mm. Ungodly. No. Don't render evil for evil. Keep reading. But. Verse 18. If it be possible. As much as lies in you. Live peaceably with all men. It, it, It ought to be that if it was up to you. You'd get along with everybody. Amen. If it's just all up to you, everybody would be happy. That's the way it ought to be. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. People say, well, it's payback. 
payback. No, payback is not yours. Give place to wrath. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. When you grow up some and you understand these things, you quit thinking about paying people back. And you understand the scripture says that God is your defense. And if people hurt you, he takes a personal responsibility to deal with them. Did you hear me? And then you get concerned about them and you don't want to get, you don't want to see them judged and you'll get to praying for them. Go, oh God, I don't want to see them judged because God is serious about this. People hurt his people, they're hurting him. He takes it personally. He'll deal with them too. He's very merciful. He's very gracious, but he'll only let things go so far. And then he'll stand up and people will be judged. It can be very, very serious. In fact, the proverb says this. He that repays evil for good, evil will never leave his house. Man, now that's, that's something. Somebody does you good. And you turn around and hurt them on purpose. You do them evil. Bible said evil will never leave your house. You don't do people evil when they've done you good. And you don't do people evil when they've done you evil. What do you do? You do them good. They slap you, you bake them a pie. Huh? Can you do it? Would you feel like doing it? You might stand over the stove and go, I'm going to bake this pie. (laughs) If I fall in the floor, but I'm going to bake this pie. (laughs) Huh? Can you you control yourself? Can you overcome? Yes, you can. And you can walk in love. You don't repay evil for good. You don't repay evil for evil. You give good for evil. Man, it works. Let's keep reading. I keep, I keep commenting and should keep reading. Keep reading. I had intentions about letting you out early today. Can you believe that? You don't even believe that, do you? Romans 12. <laughs> no, it's true. Romans 12. Keep reading. Vengeance is whose? It's the Lord's. Let him be your defense. Don't try to defend yourself. That's not easy. There's been times I I I so bad wanted to call somebody or to go see them and say, let me tell you my side. And the Lord said, shut up. I'm your defense. You be quiet and let me defend you. Because if you start defending you, you just took it out of my hands. I thought, well, okay. But it's, is it easy to be quiet? Whew. Especially if people are hanging you out to dry. Huh? Oh, you're so bad want to go, hey, hey! It ain't so! I didn't do it! I didn't say it! But that's part of growing up, isn't it? Grow up and say, Lord, you know now. You're my defense. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and obey you and do what you told me to do. And you take care of this for me. How many believe you will? If your enemy hunger, what do you do? Saw a rascal, see there? He sowed it and now he's reaping it. Good enough for you, bud. (laughs) What you did to me, hope you starved to death. (laughs) 
How many know any sinner can act like that? People that ain't never, never even been saved. That's what they can do. No, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? He wouldn't feed you. But what are you going to do? <laughs> feed him. Feed him. If he's thirsty, what do you do? No, you don't throw it in his face. In doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head without saying a word, I might add. Just in the act of love. Be not overcome of evil, but do what? Overcome evil with good. What do you do? Overcome evil with good. Everybody said out loud. Overcome evil with good. Go, go to 1 John 3. 1 John 3, verse 14. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we know a lot of scriptures. Huh? Because we talk in tongues. Huh? Because we have a lot of stuff. We're prosperous. Uh -uh. No. Because we go to church. Nope. How do we know that we have passed from death to life? Because we love the brethren. Love who? You see how specific this is. Yeah, care about the world and people outside, but that's not specifically what he's saying. Our main witness is how we deal with each other. Love the brethren. The brethren. Everybody say the brethren. That includes the cistern. Everybody. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. People that are also born again. He said, uh, verse 16, let's read it. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso has this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Love is not supposed to just be in saying I love you. Love is to be demonstrated in actions. Right? And the greatest expression... Of love is giving. The Lord said that to me some years ago. And when he first said it to me. I wondered if I was hearing right. I thought well now that's, that's a big statement. The greatest manifestation. The greatest expression of love is giving. I thought well now is that right. And while I'm thinking on that. Uh, John 3.16. Came to my remembrance with force. God so loved the world. Hmm? That he yelled from heaven, I love you. <laughs> now that's, that's great to tell people you love them. That's great. But is that the greatest manifestation no. of love? No. no, it's not. God so loved the world that he spoke from heaven, I have feelings <laughs> for you. I just have all these wonderful no. feelings. Toward you. See, so many in the world, they think feelings are love. That's why they fall in and out of love every other day and week. 
They don't know what love is. Love is not a feeling. Now love can produce feelings. But love is not a feeling. And you can love when you have no feelings. I said you can love when you have no feelings. You can love when you have bad feelings. Sometimes people have had the wrong idea. They thought, well, man, if I'm full of love and if I'm walking in love the strongest, then I'll just always have wonderful feelings for everybody. And I'll just think, oh, you're so great. And I just love everybody. Now, you're, you're walking in love the strongest when you feel like slapping somebody. Amen. But you don't. Amen. <laughs> you feel like telling them where to get off. And you can catch yourself in mid-sentence. You can. I mean, you can say, let me tell you something. I want you to know that God loves you. <laughs> and I do too. And I'm going to go away right now and pray for you. You, you can catch yourself in mid-sentence. That's walking in love. Huh? You feel like picking up the phone and calling their superior and causing them a real problem. Instead, you send them a gift certificate to some restaurant that they like. You don't have to feel like you, you, the whole time you're filling it out, your flesh can say, I don't want to do this. Well, let's just go and eat there ourselves. You don't want to do this. You say, shut up. You let the love of God inside you overcome the, the selfishness that's in your flesh. Can you say amen? amen? This is walking in love. And he said, don't just love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, in deed, in action, in deed, and in truth. And he, uh, he just got through talking about giving when he talked about having this world's good and giving to your brother. Everybody say your brother. Right. Now, we, we, can, we can have mercy on a stranger that we don't know that's in the street, but that's not specifically what this verse said. This says, if you see your brother. Right? That, that's hungry and in need and shut up your bowel. Do you, do you see this? Your brother. Your brother. Now, back up to the 16th verse and notice this. Hereby perceive we the love of God. He laid down his life for us. Did he do that? Yes. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Is that a fact? Yes. He laid down his life for us. If we are a Christian, one like the anointed one, then we live and operate like he operated in the earth. He laid down his life for others. If we're real Christians, we do the same. We lay down our lives for others. Now, when you say that, people's minds go off on a tangent and they think, hmm. That sounds pretty severe. (laughs) And I'm sure that's right, but I'm sure none of us really do it. Next. Tell us something next. Let's go on to the next point. Well, this is a problem. Doing good things for other people. Helping other people. Helping your brothers and sisters in Christ is not just a good Christian thing to do. It is Christianity. Did you hear me? 
But now some humanitarian programs, they, they emphasize this too far. And they act like the main thing of Christianity is to help people materially, physically. It is not. The main purpose of the church is to help people spiritually and also physically. Do you understand? Because you could, you could get everybody's needs met physically, and if they're not born again, and if they don't know God, if they're not right with God, if they're not growing in faith, it's not going to fix their problems. The main way we should help is spiritual. But in laying down your life for another, don't let that be, have a negative connotation in your mind. We must get our minds renewed to this thinking. This is not a negative thing. This is a positive thing. Amen? Go with me, if you would please, to uh, the book of Isaiah. Famous 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And notice something. Are y'all believing with me this morning? This is so important. This is, the things we're talking about now, is the entryway into a great move of God in our church. Did you hear me? This is the doorway, the entryway into a great move of God in this church. So we, we must not just hear a good sermon and say, well, that was great, and leave and forget about it. How do we act on this? How do we incorporate this into our, our life? How should things change? In Isaiah 53, this is talking about the Lord. Surely he bore our, our sicknesses and carried our pains. With his stripes were healed. He didn't open his mouth. Uh, but he, you know, he was dumb like a, a sheep before its shearers. Look in verse 10. Isaiah 53:10. Yet it what? Pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. That's the word for sickness. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I used to read that and think, how could it have pleased the Lord to make Jesus' soul an offering for sin? What does the next phrase say after that? After making his soul an offering for sin. He shall what? He shall what? He will see his seed. That's us. I said that's us. How could it please God to offer his only begotten son? How could it please God to make him sin with our sin? To put him to sickness and to grief? How could it, how could it have? Only one way. He could see past it. And he could see how it helped us. He could see what this sacrifice did for us. And that is the, the, the heart of Jesus himself. How could Jesus offer himself? Knowing what he was going to go through. Knowing that his sinless, spotless being was going to be made sin. With all the sin of mankind, past, present, and future. How many believe he was willing to do it? Nobody made him do it. Nobody forced him to do it. Did he have the heart of the Father? Then did it please him to do it? Yeah. 
What a sacrifice. And yet, he didn't do it acting like he was being deprived of everything. He did it willingly, even with pleasure. Now, you, you begin to see here now discerning real love versus religious tradition. Go with me, please, to 2 Corinthians, and you'll see this very clearly. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Everybody say it, please the Lord. To bruise him. How could that be? Because of what it did for us. I want to say something very, very strong now. If you don't, if you don't see how it fits, don't throw it away, study it out. Suffering that doesn't benefit others is vain. Suffering that doesn't benefit others is vain. Jesus didn't go through all that to develop his spirituality. To show everybody what a great person in the spirit he was. He did it for one reason. To deliver us. Amen. To help us. Remember Romans, uh, excuse me, not Romans, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love and it talks about how that you could give all your goods to the poor and give your body to be burned and if you didn't do it in love, it profits nothing. You could do all, you could give everything you got, every dime you got, every piece of stuff you've got, even give your own body and it means nothing. Why? Well, why would they be doing it if not in love? Doing it in this Actually, it's a, it's a proud, twisted thing of love that, you know, I'm, I'm such a selfless individual. I'm going to give of myself, though it hurts so bad. And their focus is about what they're going through and how they're sacrificing and all that they're doing. And for other people to look and go, oh, aren't they a great person? Look what they're giving. Look what they're doing. Well, that he said, if you do it like that, it profits you nothing. Your suffering and your depriving yourself was in vain. And you find people that, that talk about giving and sacrificing with mournful tones. Well, we've got to sacrifice. We've all got to cinch our belt a little tighter and do something for somebody. That's not right. I said, that's not right. Is that how God did it? No. Did it say it pleased him? To do it? Hmm? It did. Why? Because he loved us so much. And Jesus loves us so much. And what did Hebrews 12 say? That Jesus endured the cross. Despising the shame. How did he do it? Turn there and look. Don't, don't just let me quote it to you. Hebrews. I know you're in 2 Corinthians. That's not too far. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Verse 2, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the what? Who for the what? Now we just got through reading in John that if you love each other and you live in his love, your joy will be full. Can you begin to see the telltale marks of the real thing? 
You show me somebody that's really full of the love of God, they're going to be a giver. But they won't give woefully. They won't give and act depressed about it after they gave. Well, we just have to give everything for Jesus. It's hard, but we have to do it. The Lord never asked anybody to do that. In fact, he told us not to do that. He told us it's vain to do. He told you could give every dollar you've got and it'll mean nothing if you give it like that. But when you're really giving in love, how can you tell? There's going to be joy. You can tell if God deals with somebody to give you something and they want to do it. Huh? You can tell and they say, well, here, I want you to have this. And you're going, oh, are you sure? And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to have it. If somebody says, well, oh, no, I, I don't, but I don't want to miss God. That's my favorite one. And you, you start to take it and they're still holding on to it. You know? <laughs> they're not ready to give it to you. I'm not ready to receive it. Did you hear me? I'm not ready to receive something like that. Because they're not giving it. The Lord's not going to make you do something you don't want to do. He's not going to force you. And, it's, and, and they, they're not going to get the reward given like that. I don't want to see people sow seed in vain. If, if God deals with you to sow something, he's never taking something away from you. He's got a harvest lined up for you. He wants something bigger and better than this. But you got, what kind of giver does God love? Cheerful. Cheerful. Why? Because that's the only kind that's going to get any reward. It's the only kind that's going to get any harvest. Only kind that's doing it in faith. And it's faith that pleases him. Can you say amen? Amen. I believe you're getting this. Man, this is so important. Now, I'm not asking to call any names or anything, but maybe you've done this in the past. But do you know what I'm talking about? About this, this twisted religion of men thing about, well, we've got to give. You know, it's our duty. And, and people try to motivate people to give out of condemnation. And just, you know, emphasize half of one scripture. You God robbers. You're robbing God. You're cursed with a curse. Cursed with a curse you are. <laughs> well, God, the Lord doesn't want you paying tithes like you're paying off the mafia. To keep from getting beat up. Protection money. Well, you better send God his check. You better get him his check. Because man, something liable will happen. Your pet dog will die. Your transmission will fall out. Your washer machine will break. Better keep him happy. Send him his check. God is not pleased with such giving. He loves. Huh? He loves God. Well, if God loves it, it ought to mean something to us. God loves a cheerful, what's amplified say, joyous, prompt to do it, giver, takes pleasure in his giving. Can you say amen? amen? See, giving is not just one thing passing from hand to hand. Giving is spiritual. Giving is the primary manifestation of love. It's, it's the, the greatest Expression of love. God so loved the world that he 
gave. I mean, it silenced people in all three realms. Nobody can ever successfully challenge the fact that God loves the world. He demonstrated it for all time and eternity by giving the most precious thing he had. Anybody that doubts his love is just blind or foolish or ignorant because he did it. There it is. And if we love each other, we're going to be giving to each other. But if we love them and we're doing it giving out of love, then we do it with joy. And if you're living full of love and expressing that love in giving all around, Jesus said, your joy will be full. The selfish life is the tormented life. The love life, the giving life, is the soul-satisfying life. But if you live to satisfy yourself, what do you say? You'll lose your life. But if you live to give, you'll find it. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. How awful it was, but he could go through it. He could endure it, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. How could he endure it? How could he go through it? Because he could see the joy on the other side of it. How can you turn loose of your favorite thing? How can you sow your Isaac to God? How can you do what he deals with you to do? In joy? How could you do it? Because you see past it. You see, you see past you doing without it. Huh? I know uh, I've always liked cars. Always have. I mean, when I was a teenager, I was, uh, Phyllis still says I'm a motorhead. If it makes a lot of power and will spin a wheel, I like it. And uh, we, we got a car, a sports car, and I really enjoyed it. And the Lord dealt with me. He said, you're not here yet. I'm talking about this car. He said, I don't care if you have five of these. But right now, you're not here. And your priorities are not right. You're spending more on this than you are other things. It's taking too much of your faith and focus to take care of the insurance and payment and all this kind of stuff. He said, you're not here. And so I finally got it straight in my spirit. Oh, this has probably been nearly 20 years ago. And I sold it. I just had got it. It had like 3,000 miles on it. And I really liked it. Drove it off the showroom floor and missed God. Anybody ever done that besides me? Huh? Got caritis? Car talks to you, says, hey, take me home. It's me and you, bud. We're buds. You look good in this car. It's, I'm your car. Take me home. And they came and said, yeah, we'll make it happen. You know? And, uh, but I did. I sold it and began to support ministries stronger. And begin to get out of debt. But I could do it. I didn't go, you know, with my title crying to let the man have it. I could do it with joy. Because I had the revelation that God's not doing this to spoil my fun. He wants something better for me. He's already told me he doesn't care if I have five of them. But it's got to be right. My priorities have to be right. It's not what you have. It's how you got it. Did you hear me? It's not what you have, it's how you got it that's the deal. And it's what are your priorities. If you seek him first and put him first, what do you say? All these things 
would be added to you. I could do it with joy. I stirred myself up and said, no, nah, later on, I'll have two or three of these if I want to. Not a deal. God's going to get me to a more powerful place financially. Amen. And I'm, on, where I'm, I'm not there right now, but I'll get there. And I'm putting more seed into the ground. Amen. When you want more harvest, you should put more seed into the ground. Right? Smart man to do that instead of eating all your seed. And so, man, we begin to put seed into the ground, put seed into the ground. And I'm telling you, the Lord is so faithful in the next few months. He begin to get us out of debt, get us out of debt, get us out of debt. And we begin to give bigger than we thought about giving. I mean, we're sowing hundreds at a time and then thousands at a time. Next thing you know, what was it about? I rode with Phyllis for a year and a half. And she let me ride with her and her car. <laughs> and I learned patience and some other things. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't her fault. She, her job required her to work later, and a lot of times I'd have to wait on her. And I'd just sit there and read my Bible, which was good for me too, you know. Amen. And uh, in a way, about a year and a half after that, the Lord got me in a used one, just a year old, a sports car. I mean, for cheaper than most people would get in a little small car. And it wasn't a burden to me. It was a blessing. Amen. It wasn't a weight and I didn't feel bad about having it because I know what I'm giving. I know what I'm doing. My priorities are right. Do you see what I'm talking about? But if you have to endure something that's uncomfortable or distasteful to your flesh, if you have faith like Jesus, he went through the cross. He endured it. Why? For the joy that was out in front of him. He was there on the cross. He was feeling the pain. He was going through it. But he wasn't just there by faith. He could see out past it. He could see your face and mine. He could see us shouting here at Faith Life Church this morning. Because we're redeemed. Because we're righteous. Because we can be healed. And even though it was so horrible, he gave it all gladly. I said he gave it all, not, 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 you know, in a woeful thing. He gave it gladly. The Father did it with pleasure. And Jesus did too. He said, I delight to do thy will, O God. Can you say amen? Second Corinthians 12, in closing. God is so faithful. He's so good. We've talked about how that you must receive love to give love. You love, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you love your neighbor how? Well, what if you don't love you? Neighbor's in trouble. So you've got you've to let God love you. And you've got to love yourself. For the sake of people around about you. You must love yourself. So you have love to give them. Say it out loud. God loves me. I love him. He loves me. I love me. Amen. Love yourself put you in a position to love other people and we said that love builds up we said love does no harm and today we're talking about this love is a giver love gives in 2nd Corinthians 12 2nd Corinthians the 12th chapter and in verse 12 2nd Corinthians 12 12 he said truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it wherein ye were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. 
Do you know that love does not want to be a burden on somebody else? Is that true? Love is not a moocher. Nor is faith. Love and faith is not a sponge. Anybody know what I mean by that? You're uh, conscious of not wanting to be a problem to somebody. And not wanting to be a burden to somebody. Let's see. Just back up to the 11th chapter. Yeah, there was another verse I wanted you to see. Hold that. Go back to 11.9. Paul was this way. 11.7 I should read. 11.7. 2 Corinthians 11.7. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that you might be exalted because I preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. Now what that means is... uh, They financed more than their share, so to speak. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so will I keep myself. Paul was extremely strong about this. And I have adopted it from from him and from the Spirit of God in him. He said that uh, though he had a right to be supported in the gospel and that his people under him should support him, he said, yet I'm not making any charge. He said, and I preach the gospel without charge. He was so strong in that. He said, I would rather die than somebody take this away from me. Now, that's strong. And we we have been like that in our hearts. And I purpose to be like that. Not to charge anybody. You don't have to charge. I mean, if it's your business, I understand charging for your services. But you you don't, if it doesn't look like something's going to come into you through that channel, you don't have to put pressure on people to meet your needs. You have a God who can meet your needs. Amen. Amen. And it's not a matter of pride. It's a matter of not wanting to be a burden. And it's a matter of having your own faith. Amen. Amen. What does what the psalmist David say? I've been young and now I'm old. And what? I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Believers don't have to beg. Amen. Don't have to beg. You don't have to beg a potential customer. You don't have to beg a client. You don't have to beg your employer for a raise. You don't have to beg a bank for a loan. You don't have to beg. In fact, if you do, you're missing it. That's acting like your God's not big enough to take care of you. Amen. For years, Phyllis and I have gone out in ministry, traveling, and uh, never one time have we asked somebody, for a certain amount. We've never asked anybody to pay us. And especially as we became stronger, we take care of our own room. We take care of our own travel. You know, we got our own airplane. I, we, I pay all the fuel. I never hand anybody a bill. Hmm? And uh, I've had, had a guy catch me one time the other day and he said, uh, well, this is kind of funny. I'll tell you this little story. We flew in with some other people in a bigger jet one time. This is a few years ago. And the guy there, he was, uh, he's kind of pushy about this. And he said, I want to pay the fuel bill. I want to pay the fuel bill. And the guy said, no, no, we got it. We got it. He said, no, I want to pay the fuel bill. And he would just push you about it. And the guy said, all right, here, pay it. He looked at him and went, 
is that all for this one airplane? He said, yeah. <laughs> you wanted it, buddy. There it is. <laughs> but uh, I had a guy one time. He said, well, no, you know, I, I got to do this. You got to let me do this. I said, no, y'all, y'all are giving me an offering. I said, whatever comes in is what comes in. But I want to do this. I want it to not cost you a dime for us to come preach this to you. This is my seed, my sowing. Amen. And I'm telling you, God has taken such care of us, man. He's blessed us so much. Never. I mean, our the offerings when I go out have just got up, 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 up. Every year they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Which has enabled us, enabled the ministry to give into this church. You know it. And other things. But I am not, I don't have to come beg you for money as your pastor. You don't have to beg me for money. You don't have to beg your employer or your wife or your husband for money. Well, come on, baby. When are you going to fix a house up for me? Come on. When are you going to give money? Why don't you believe it in? Why don't you believe it in? Well, honey, when can I have my bass boat? When? Come on now. When can I have it? Why don't you believe for one? Faith puts no pressure on people. And believers are not beggars. Can you say amen? Amen. Claim your harvest. Amen. Sow your seed. Claim your one. Claim your three. And stand in faith till it comes in. Don't be moved by what you see or don't see or feel or don't feel. Keep standing. Keep believing. What are y'all laughing about? See a lot of looks all across the crowd. (laughs) Go back to the 12th chapter. I think I'm closing. 2 Corinthians 12. He said, I'm not going to be burdensome to you. Everybody said out loud. I will never be a burden to my family and my friends. I said, well, you just never know, Brother Keith. I mean, sometimes you, you get old and you lose your mind. You can't help yourself. And you just, I will never lose my mind. Now, you can say whatever you want to say. But if I live to be 120, I'll be sharp as a tack. I said, well, 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 you just, no, no, you don't know. (laughs) But I know what the word tells me. Amen. I will never be a burden to my family and friends because my God is big enough to sustain me and help me. And when he gets through with me, I'm not going to lay around here and burden others. I'm out of here. I'm gone. Amen. You say, well, I wish that. It don't come by wishing now. Put your faith on it. Put your words on it. Everybody say, I will never lose my mind. And I will never be a burden to others. I will be a blessing to others. Amen. God will use me to help take burdens off of people. I won't be a burden to people. We'll be involved in the burden removing. Yoke destroying. Ministry. Not added to the burden. He said, verse 14, the third time I'm ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I'll very gladly spend and be spent for you. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Oh man, that's that's the essence of this love that we're talking about. I will... I'll not just I'll spend for you, I will what? Huh? Not just I'll do it, 
I will very gladly spend. Hmm? This is where some of the greatest breakthroughs have come and fill us in my life financially. It's not just when I was giving, not just when we were giving, not just when we were giving more. It's when we delighted to give. It's when we loved those people more than we loved that money so we could turn it loose gladly. We love those people more than we love that stuff. We've given people nice stuff. I have bought people $3,000 suits when I was wearing junk. I was wearing junk. Did you hear me? Phyllis has given people the very best jewelry she had when she had nothing to replace it. Given them the very best clothes that she had. And not, no, well, we just want to be good Christians and... We just willing to sacrifice it all for Jesus. That's how you give in vain. No. The Lord dealt with you. It's happened so many times. I could stand here and talk to you all, all day and all night. Telling you example after example that the Lord's dealt with. Go, go see those people. Give them that ring. Put that watch on their hand. Put that coat on them. Send them to this place. And they came back and said, oh man, you don't know, you don't know, but I was at a breaking point. And, and I just thought, well man, does God even know I'm here anymore? And for him to send you to me and put this on me, it just is ringing in my ears how much God loves me. And we said, well he does, he does love you, and we love you, and it sustained them. That's priceless. Caused them to press in instead of give up. Caused them to press on instead of you know, despair. That's what prosperity is about. That's what having money is about and having stuff is about. Can you say amen? amen. But you do it how? Spend. Everybody say spend. spend. You can't spend if you don't have nothing to spend. But spend. How many spenders do I have in here? Big spenders. Huh? How many big spenders? Come on now. Don't be afraid. I've already received the offering. Big spenders. Huh? I tell you, you know, I've seen ministers. I'm not going to call any names. But you're, you're at a meal and, and some things are going on and uh, here comes the bill. And I've seen people wait for somebody else to pick it up. Kind of look around and hum haw around and Push the bill around. And that's ungodly. I said that's ungodly. I don't like cheap preachers. I don't like folk always asking for handouts and discounts for their church. Oh, can you give the church a discount? Well, if they want to sow something, that's different. But you asking for something is, is not. I mean, that's acting like God's a little God. We don't have to beg. Everybody say spender. Big spender. How do you do it? Come on, look at the scripture. If you hadn't underlined it, you might take your pen and circle it. Or underline it. I will. What? Very gladly spend and be spent. For you. Everybody say for you. For you, that's not, that's not for me to be more spiritual. That's not for me to rack up points in heaven. That's to benefit somebody. Even though 
The more abundantly I love you, the less I'll be loved. Even if you appreciate it less. And even if you like me, the less. Isn't this godly? To love people so much that you enjoy sacrificing, you enjoy spending, that they may be relieved, that they may be helped, that they may be benefited. What if we got a church full of folk like that? Then you got a church just like we read about during the offering. You remember that? We got a church just, that's, that's how they were. They were so full of love and they were so full of God, so full of the Holy Ghost. They delighted in selling land, selling houses, family heirlooms. I mean, liquidating stuff so that people were fed and clothed and housed. And it got to the place, it flowed so much through all those thousands of the church that there was not one that lacked in the whole church. Does that please God? Is that good in God's eyes? Yes, it is. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Let me pray over you. And let me lead you in a confession. Say it aloud, Father God. Thank you. That you are who you are. You are love. Pure. Unselfish. Giving. Love, And I am a love child of a love God. Your love has been and is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. Help me to yield to this love. Let this love increase in me. Grow in me. This whole church may abound more and more in this God kind of love. Make me aware of all that you would. Help me to see others, what they need, what they require, what they're believing for. And make me strong for yourself. Strong financially. Bring abundance into my hands, into my life, that I may have to give, and that I may do it with joy and with gladness, and by your grace, I will very gladly spend and be spent for others in Jesus' name. Praise God. Lift your hands and thank Him for answering that prayer. Thank Him for doing just that in your life, causing you to come up, come up, come up, increase more and more. Oh, praise you, Lord. Come on, just praise Him a little more. Don't get in too big of a rush. Believe that He does the work in you. Brings you up to a higher place in these things. Delivers us. From stinginess and selfishness, darkness, we live in divine love. We live in this love. We live to give. Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website 
at morelife.org.